Hey, hey, 80s Nation, I know it's a year away, but the 80s cruise is 92% sold out. Time is running out for you to get your cabin. Don't miss the ship that's going to include performances by The Human League, 38 Special, Berlin, Berlin to Carlisle, More Stay in the Time, ABC, Dire Straits Legacy, Modern English, Jack Russell's Great White, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, A Flock of Seagulls, The Alarm, The Sugar Hill Gang, John Parr, Johnny Hates Jazz, <gasps> and of course the entire event is hosted by the original MTV VJs Mark, Allen, and Nina. Uh, Brad and I will be there hosting trivia and recording live podcasts. You can join us. Go to www.the80scruise.com right now and use the promo code STUCK when booking to get $200 cabin credit. That's the code STUCK for first-time guests for $200 cabin credit. Can't wait to meet you and cruise with you March 2022 on the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Now on with the show. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in LA. And today we give you our review of the sequel to Coming to America and remind you again that there's a fine line between love and nausea. American cinema is the best. The best? That is like the most blasphemous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> what do we have besides superhero shit, uh, remakes, and, and sequels to old movies nobody asks for? This is true about sequels. If something is good, why, why ruin, ruin it? it? Stuck in the 80s is now listener-supported via Patreon, and now we have membership tiers with added benefits and annual memberships. Join us for VIP Zoom happy hours, swag bags, co-hosting opportunities, and more when you join at patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Well, Abby, damn, look who done come up in here. Hey, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. Famine and blood diamond. Nelson Mandela and Winnie. With us today, straight from the presidential palaces of Washington, it's Galen, D.C. Hello. It's great to have you back. I'm glad to be here. I got to say, um, you're sort of a star nowadays. I just noticed that uh, you have a blog called Every Day I Write the Book Blog, and you were promoting it, I guess, and Demi Moore picked it up? <laughs> well, what happened was that I have this Instagram feed. I post pictures of my dog with the books that I read, and then I hashtag them dogs and books, which is a surprisingly active hashtag on Instagram. <laughs> So I guess Demi Moore was probably, you know, pandemic bored one night and she started going through and finding people who had tagged her book, her memoir, uh, with the, I don't know, she just found pictures of people who had posted pictures of their pets with the book. And I had done that, you know, a while ago. I think I read her book like a year ago. I don't even remember. It's been a long time. And I posted a picture of him and I had done it on audio. So it was actually just him with the iPhone because I, I don't have a physical copy of the book. And so one night I was pandemic bored and kind of looking through did my Instagram feed and I saw her and she posted, 
I'm, you know, I really am enjoying seeing people's pictures of my book and their pets and the, you know, their furry friends or something. And she posted a couple of them and I was just scrolling. I kind of had forgotten that I'd done it. And all of a sudden they're looking back at me as my own dog in Demi Moore's feed. And I realized she tagged me in it. And I just must have missed the notification because it had been like a week before. Oh, wow. Yes. I was very excited. Fun. That's cool. Yes. So I took an immediate screenshot and, of course, posted it on Facebook and was very excited. Speaking of Pandemic Board, Amazon Prime has given us a gift lately. It's the sequel to Coming to America, the 1988 movie starring uh, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. Prepare the royal jet. We are going back to America. Oh, hell no, your majesty. I will find this bastard of queens and I will look into his eyes. And if I see the strength of our ancestors, I shall know he is of my blood. Then he must come back to Zemunda and take the princely test. Heir to the throne of Zemunda. Born in America. Land of opportunity. It came out on March 5th on Amazon Prime. Today we're going to tell you if the movie's worth watching. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Right now on Rotten Tomatoes, Coming to America, you know, clever title, has a 51% fresh rating. So so you better get to it fast before it spoils. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I think I think what we're going to talk about today is that the first movie had such great charm and amazing characters, and that's a tall order to repeat three decades later. Yeah. Somebody needs to whip your way. Mm-hmm. Get up and whip him, sweet. So we all watched it pretty much the day it came out, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did a Sat double header. <laughs> you watched oh, did both? you watch the first one and then? I did. That's dedication right there. Yeah, well, I'm dedicated to this podcast. You can't be else. telling Steve stuff like that. He's going to move me to the, the <laughs> reserve <laughs> roster. Well, you know, you do your research. You get the pole position. <gasps> I will oh, say the one man. thing that I love that they continue in both movies is in the opening credits where it shows the Paramount Mountain. In both the original movie and in the sequel, the camera then goes, you know, past the mountain to where Zamunda is. So I I loved that in the first movie, and they do continue with the second movie. And that might be where the charm <laughs> ends. ends. Did you notice that the credits have the same font? Oh, no. Nice. Yeah, this is what happens when you watch them back to back. But yeah, <sighs> like, it's this hey. kind of stylized 80s font, and they kept it. Sort of I was nice. sort of wondering about that. Like, did they have the font somewhere? Like, did someone have to recreate them? I think it's the same one they use for Princess Bride. I'm not. Mm. It's pretty close. Mm. Join us on our other podcast, <laughs> Typography Today, where we look into this and serifs, good or bad. Bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you need it, and I can't believe I'm going to say it, here's a quick recap of the first movie 30 some years ago. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Listen to this podcast if you need this. But thanks for downloading. I boiled it down to a sentence Eddie Murphy is Prince Akeem of Zamunda, who spurns an arranged marriage to go to America and find a true love to be his wife. The end. <laughs> Hi, Jenks and Sue. I want you and that young man to tie that knot. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to hold on to God's unchanging hand. Because he helped Joshua fight the battle of Jericho. Yes. He helped Daniel get out the lion's den. He helped Gilligan get off the island. Lord. We're not going to give you too many spoiler alerts for the second movie during the course of today's podcast. We're gonna, we'll talk a little bit about some surprises and what else we found charming besides the typography <laughs> as, <laughs> as anyone who knows, who's watched the trailers go, 
it's it's not that far fetched of a story this time around. It's it is thirty years later. Prince Akeem is coping with having his dad on his deathbed. He has three kids, but they're all girls. And according to Zamunda law, the crown must be passed to a male heir. Uh, and it turns out that Akeem unknowingly fathered a son during his first trip to America. So he returns to Queens to find him. And in the process, we pretty much meet, get to meet every character that was in the very first movie. Is that safe to say? Yeah, yeah they, they horn everybody in there one way or the other. Yeah. The movie was actually supposed to be released in theaters last year, August. Yeah. And, of course, the COVID pandemic led uh, Paramount to just sell it to Amazon, which I think – thank heavens they did. I haven't been to a movie theater since this whole thing started, even though they're – I think they're open again here in Florida. Huh. No, I, yeah, I haven't I haven't either. I just – no, that would just – yep. <laughs> People. Hell is other people. <laughs> yeah, it's like – did you just have your hand in the popcorn bin? Like, are you touching that stuff? Yes. That seems like ill-advised, dude. I gave you my ticket. You touched it. You tore it, and you gave it back to me. <laughs> How dare you? Monsters. John Landis was the director in the first movie. Craig Brewer is the director in this sequel. Anyone recognize his name? Um, isn't there a baseball team named after him? <sighs> no. He's not my co-host for nothing, folks. He directed uh, Dolomite Is My Name. He did the reboot of Footloose ten, oh, ten years ago. He did never Hustle seen and, it. Hustle and Flow. You didn't see Footloose? That Gail, did I didn't see, see the remake. I didn't see the remake. Did you see the remake, Gail? I did not. Okay. Anytime I get the urge to watch Footloose, I'm going to watch Footloose. It's okay. I mean, okay, look. If we decided to do a podcast that was like a shootout, the first one and the redo, then I would watch them. I would... I would Gale that crap up and doubleheader it so I could, you know, have it all clear in my mind. But I just, I, I mean, I'm, I've heard it's fine. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Wow. Someone's got buckets of water and he's ready to fling them today. Well, you know, it's all I got here. Okay, so let me throw it to you guys. Gail, when you watched it last night, what stood out to you? Like, what, what, were, what were the things that kind of caught your eye right off the bat? Off the bat, you know, it's, I feel like the true value of this movie is in the nostalgia rather than in kind of the standalone artistry of the new movie. Um, there's... Are you rolling your eyes when you said that? Oh, my gosh. I can't... How did you say that with a straight voice, Gail? I'm trying to be uh, diplomatic. You know, like you said, it, it p- pulls a lot of threads from the first movie and, you know, threads them into the second movie. So, you you know, it opens the same way. You've got Prince Akeem being awoken by the same guy who awakens him every, you know, I guess every day. There's a lot of, um, you know, just little things that have been updated and and little kind of inside jokes and, you know, winky nods to the first one. And sure. that part is definitely fun. Um, as a movie itself, I wasn't crazy about it. I'm sure we're going to get into that more. But off the bat, my I would sell this much more as like a nostalgia thing, nostalgia play for people who were old enough to remember the first one rather than you know, something for someone to watch fresh. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it that way, Gail, but you're right. If you are unfamiliar with the source material from Coming to America, this is going to be a complete nothing burger. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it'll actually. Maybe it's actually funny to someone who never saw the first movie. You have disgraced yourself, and you must be punished. You will confine yourself to our royal suite at the Waldorf Astoria and see that he puts on some decent attire. And I want you to bathe him thoroughly. Oh, thank you, Your Majesty. 
let's talk a little bit about the characters. Yeah. Every, everybody returns. I mean, really, everybody returns. The only two people that I can I can make out that didn't return are Prince Akeem's mom, the queen, that actress, uh, Madge Sinclair, passed away of cancer in 1995. She's referenced in, in a real touching scene. The actor who played General Aziz, who is giving his daughter away in the first movie, Calvin Lockhart, he died in 2007. Unless I missed it, I don't think Samuel L. Jackson makes an appearance, does he? No, nor does Eric LaSalle, who played the uh, first movie. And I was yeah. bummed not to see him. I, I could have sworn they would have shoehorned him in there somewhere. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe he's like trying to win her back. Yeah, or just, just <laughs> yeah. to have him like be on the, you know somewhere like just anywhere like, like up against the couch you know with the soul glow what really to me hurts this movie is is eddie murphy doesn't do any acting arsenio hall doesn't do any acting they just kind of stand there and grin and the kind of mug for the camera yeah yeah it's like it's like an I, snl skit i have to yeah. say when when wesley snipes character comes in i'm like is he a general or does he have a dance crew <laughs> There's an awful lot of choreography there. Yeah. But that's a nod to the first one. Sure. I don't know if you remember, um, this was making me laugh last night, the scene in the first movie where they're about to introduce the bride that he's being, you know, set up to marry. And there's like this 10 minute dance scene beforehand of these people dancing in front and you're kind of watching him and he's waiting and he wants to see her. And there's like this buildup and the dancing goes on and on and on. So I was thinking that the Wesley Snipes intro scene where you've got the same type of dancing, sort of updated. It's not women, you know, scantily clad women anymore. But I think it was a nod back to that. Yeah. Because that was such a big part of the first movie. James Earl Jones, who had such a nice, warm relationship with Eddie Murphy in the first movie. Like, you you really got the feeling that they had some sort of a bond. I, I don't, you don't feel it this one time. James Earl Jones is just like this angry old man who wants to kill Semi. And... <laughs> <laughs> and then what I read online like an hour or so ago is he wasn't even on set. His scenes were shot elsewhere with Eddie Murphy. Interesting. He wasn't well enough to travel due oh, to his no. age. So that may be why you didn't get the chemistry. Yeah. It is what it is, I guess. I think I think what's interesting though is to me the most interesting character in the movie is the actor who plays Eddie's son, Jermaine Fowler. Yo, look where I'm at. I'm supposed to be here. You know, my whole life, I had dreams that my pops would show up and take me and my mom away to a whole new life. And come to find out, he's a king. To a whole damn country. And the only way to meet his expectations is to walk with a stick up my ass or get myself killed. This, this ain't my way, Marimbe. And I, I, can't, I can't be what he wants me to be. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who has given any sort of dimension to him. Yeah, he's the, he's got some arc. Everyone else, not so much. Yeah. The whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking of the, the remake of Ghostbusters, and I'm thinking how how criminally bad that was. And I'm like, man, if, if this is just better than that, I'll be happy. Was it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it didn't clear the bar by a lot, but it, it cleared it. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to walk out. What I felt about this movie is it was kind of trying to be too many genres at one time. Yeah. Like it was it had the kind of slapsticky humor, the like Tracy Morgan, Leslie Jones stuff. 
Yeah. And then it had a whole nostalgia bent to it. But then it was trying to do this, you know, I need to be my own person. The son needs to like stand up to his father. And, you know, that that felt very thin to me. Like that was not very convincing. And then there was also this whole female empowerment angle that was like, it's almost like lip service to female empowerment without actually doing the work to illustrate it. Like, right. you know, you know, they, he's got these daughters and they can't succeed him because of Zimunda law. So he has to go find this son who basically just, you know, shows up at the opportune moment, but it kind of that quite literally, like, literally, <laughs> I'm going to New York to find a, one single human being amongst the millions of people that live here. The third person I meet is him. <laughs> right. That whole, like, you know, should a, a girl be entitled to inherit the throne that gets subsumed with the whole, Wesley Snipes, you know, neighboring country, we're going to assassinate you thing. So like, I felt like it, it actually had an opportunity to, to really truly update it for 2021 and say, you know, we're going to, because the first movie is pretty, I wouldn't say it's misogynistic, but it's, you know, it's, it's dated and it's old fashioned and it had a chance to like really make a statement and it, it it did not in any way. I, I get the feeling that they wrote the script to the second one, and somebody just, and then somebody stood up and, and made the point that you just did, Gail, and said, and, and then the writers like, "Oh crap! G- give us like twenty five minutes, and we'll fix right. it. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah, right. we'll add two scenes. We'll have some more quarterstaff fighting because yeah. you know warlords with guns are always subdued by teenage women with broomsticks. I mean, <laughs> right. don't get me wrong; they were badasses with those broomsticks, but yeah, right. You know, this is they they beat up a guy who says to his you know little tribe of of kids that he's teaching in class okay go play with your ak's now so yeah um, is there some that was that was kind of funny did anyone notice that uh eddie murphy's uh middle daughter oma that's actually his real daughter bella murphy nice oh no i didn't know that i didn't know that either so i mean to fill in some of the gaps here so tracy morgan is in the movie he's he plays the uncle of the lost heir leslie jones which I don't think I knew this, but I guess everyone else who read the reviews ahead of time knew it. She plays the mom. So that's nice. They're not the only cameos you see. Like half of the SNL cast is in there at some point or another in in tiny roles. Well, Colin Jost is in there. Actually, did you catch who Colin Jost was? Yeah. The grandson of the Dukes, the Duke brothers? Yeah. Yeah. That was Um, a fun scene. I laughed at that scene. That was fun. Yeah. Who else from SNL was in there? Pete Davidson was the guy who was running the Uber or the Lyft. Oh, okay. that was Pete Davidson. I was trying to figure out who that was. Yeah. Okay. So, Got it. And uh, then there was others. I, I I liked that they brought Louis Anderson back. Um, yeah. I love that they brought back uh, John Amos as uh, Mr. McDowell. I would not be surprised if all of Sexual Chocolate is played by the original band that was Sexual Chocolate in the first movie. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I, mean, I just assumed it was. <laughs> why'd you go to all the trouble to not do that? I mean, what? As much as we thought that the movie had its had its problems, there were there were a lot of little fun moments. Like there's there's probably a dozen laughs in there, like or at least a, a hearty chuckle, right? Oh well, yeah, there's also absolutely. Some um, some musical acts that were you know very well placed. So when they're doing a, a celebration for um, King Joffrey Joffer, so Salt and Pepper comes out. And um, <laughs> that was great. That was actually right. great. And who was the other? In the Vogue. Other, in Vogue. In Vogue. Vogue comes yeah. out and it's all narrated by Morgan Freeman. Random <laughs> yeah. but funny. That was, that was really funny. Yeah. And then I don't know if you noticed this, but in the wedding, the, the wedding at the end, 
some of the musical acts were actually people from the first movie. Like there were these random rapping twins. (laughs) They are women that, um, Akeem and Semi meet when they're looking for women oh. in, the in the first time. Yeah, yeah. that's Those oh my gosh, that's funny. Straight from there, yeah. yeah. So that was funny. Yeah, and of course they reprise all of the Eddie Murphy barber shop yeah. characters: yeah. the old Jewish guy and the barber, and then the other guy. They have two guys. I, and I thought it was great, but I just I didn't think their jokes were very funny. I, I mean, is it? I might, you know what? I can't remember what the which one it was, but it was going pretty good for me. And then one of them made a joke. I'm like, mm, nah. lost me there. It's like it's but just not. Some of it was good. Some of it was good. I don't know. Yeah. I chuckled. There's a well, moment. We're really damning it with faint praise here, aren't we? I know. <laughs> I there's found a, it mildly amusing. There's this great moment where they're watching CNN and Zamunda, and and you hear, "This is ZNN," and it's <laughs> it's James Earl Jones doing the voice of "This is ZNN," just like there would, just like he does for "This is CNN." That, that, that got um, out of Trevor that. Noah yes, on that? Yes. Okay. So I thought that was. Took me forever to figure that out. Yeah. I was like, that guy looks really familiar, but he had a you know a mustache and a beard. I the, thought that was Trevor Noah. The, the more people who recognize the bit characters that are out there, the more people who recognize that, the, the more you'll enjoy it. If, if Right. Because if you don't, you're you're going to be missing the insider jokes. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, you're fishing in an empty pond otherwise. Yeah. I read some of the reviews online. One of them said, quote, this isn't a movie or a proper sequel. It's a reunion with forced cameos of popular characters from decades ago. There's a few laughs, but nothing remotely close to its predecessor. Oh, that's totally true. Yeah. Mm. Everything Gosh. you just said is totally true. I, I feel true. like they just summed up the last 20 minutes for yeah, us. Yeah, it's like, yeah. how dare uh, they? And <laughs> so, somebody else who was a little bit kinder wrote, for some viewers, it will be like reuniting with a beloved family member. Others will be left shaking their heads and muttering, damn shame what they did to that dog. <laughs> Which is, I mean, the, look, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you have access to Amazon Prime, Go you're going to watch it. It's fine. Watch it. It won't, it will not cause, you know, boils to break out on your skin or anything untoward to happen to you. You will not become either less or more sexually attractive to those that you are attracted to. It's, it's <laughs> fine. You're get it. So you'll, you'll watch it. It'll be fine. So don't, you know, don't let us scare you off of it. But if, if you're expecting, you know, Citizen Kane, Mm. Yeah, I also recommend watching it when you're sober and completely awake and and, and bored already. That'll help. <laughs> At least try and set the bar as low as you can for your enjoyment experience. Basically, the last twelve months. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's actually the timing is great, right? Because I'm running out of stuff on Netflix. Seriously, oh, yeah. if I had paid twelve bucks to see this in the theater, I'd be pissed. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know, yeah, but along with free shipping. Yeah. Sign me up. I, you don't know how many times Amazon comes to this house. It's ridiculous. I say I probably get, I don't know, four or five deliveries a week of something because it's just like why, you know. If you don't have to leave the house. Yeah. You know. I, don't, I don't like to leave the house, really. You know, there's one thing I was thinking about that I wanted to raise. The cast is almost entirely black and um, of both movies. And I wonder if that changes your perspective on it if you're African-American. Like, oh. Does this movie feel, does it mean something more to you than it means to the three of us? I don't know. I would be interested to hear sort of some diverse perspectives on it to see if there's something that we're missing or if there's some, you know, if there's a bigger meaning to it or if the kind of evolution of the last 35 years feels different. I don't know. I'm just curious. No, that's a good question. No, that's a fair question. 
to me, it feels like a movie, a script that was written by TV sitcom writers. It's just a little too pat and a little too fast to get where it's going. I joked about how he finds a son within like five movie minutes of arriving in New York City. If you step half a step back from it and you're like, really, guys? I mean, just, I don't know. And then everyone just accepts. Oh, he's my dad. Great. Let's go. It's so campy. It would have been better as a stage musical. Mm, yes if you know what singing and dancing covers a lot of plot holes <laughs> yeah so. you know what else covers a lot of plot holes the, the cities ah it's time for listener mailbag we've got a uh a sad letter uh to read today but but first i, I can i come back and just say eddie murphy still looks really good in this movie he and arsenio hall both look like they haven't aged 10 years. Yeah, they look great. There's uh, one scene where he looked really heavy, but I don't know if yeah. that was intentional. It was weird. I noticed that, too. It was kind of towards the end, and I'm like, yeah. is that just a weird drape on that? It was like a black yes. thing he's yes. wearing, and I'm like, holy cow, dude. Yeah. I felt like Eddie Murphy in this movie, he looked like he was at a like a milestone birthday party for himself. Like, he just looked happy. <laughs> Like he was enjoying it. There were That's old perfect. friends there. You know, like he seemed like almost a little bit detached from the whole thing, like kind of watching it. Kind with of a it's a victory lap. And, yeah, like yeah. this is so cool. What a, you know, it's 33 years later. And look, I'm surrounded by these same people that I made the movie with the first time. And, you know, it's such a success. And people generally love me. And I'm just enjoying this. That's what it seemed like to me. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's a great outtake at the end. I don't know if you caught this one where um that i'm forgetting his name the actor who plays lavelle he um is apparently a big eddie murphy fan there was actually a a really long article about him today in the washington post and he grew up loving eddie murphy and it was a huge inspiration for him he was listening to eddie's comedy albums as a kid and you know thinking like i really want to do this and he is uh there's a point where he's saying something in the movie. He delivers his line and he does it in that sing songy voice, like the whole, the old ice cream character. Yes. Remember, like, <laughs> yes. I got my ice cream <laughs> and he does that. And Eddie Murphy and they've got the camera on Eddie Murphy's face and Eddie kind of sits there and he looks at him and he goes, wait a minute, that's my thing. I do that. <laughs> and the actor just started laughing because yeah. he had done it, you know, obviously intentionally. And it was just sort of a sweet interplay between the two of them. And, I feel like, you know, Eddie's like, you know, later in life, he's probably a little mellower and he just seems to be just enjoying this entire phenomenon. Sure. Jermaine Valor was amazing uh, in that role. And there's there's definitely chemistry between the two of them. And, and and we should have said that, too. Whatever you do, watch the credits all the way to the very end. I mean, all the way to the very, very, very end. Oh, no. I have to go back and watch it again, don't I? Yeah, I'm do. skipping to the credits. <laughs> yeah, they were good. There's like three different sets of outtakes in the credits. It was late. I was very tired. You I get to hear much, uh... much old-fashioned and many <laughs> mac and cheese. I wanted to go to bed. So No, it's worth it. Go back. Uh, in the meantime, we have a letter from Max Headlong, which um, we've been holding on to this one for a while. And while I sit here and grab a hanky... Buckle up, kids. Here we go. Max begins. Hey, gang. Here's my story for the podcast Time Machine. In the late 80s, I was in college in Canada, and these were definitely the best years of my life. One night at campus bar, my fraternity roommate, Mike, saw his lab partner, Joanne, at the bar and decided to go over and chat with her. Joanne was with another girl, Karen, who was Joanne's roommate. 
When I saw him with them, I was instantly entranced by Karen's appearance and decided to go over. I, quote, worked my charm and ended up spending the night getting to know her better. No funny business, though. We ended up dating and eventually became engaged. We moved in together and started to make plans for our future. The challenge was she was going to graduate from her two-year registered nursing program one year earlier than I was going to finish my degree. We decided on a plan that we knew was going to be a challenge, but would be for the best in the long run. She would move down to Galveston, Texas to work at the University of Texas Medical Branch along with two of her classmates. Additionally, a good friend of mine from the fraternity had moved down there because his fiance was also a nurse and got a job there as well. This seemed to be pretty ideal given the circumstances. Although it was hard to be away from each other, we figured it would only be a year and we could get through it. I went to visit her in the summer and she came back to visit me in the fall. When I took her to the airport, I escorted her as far as I was allowed. I hugged her, gave her a kiss, and told her that we would see each other again soon. Everything seemed all right. Early in December, I was sitting in my apartment when the phone rang. I picked it up, and I recognized the voice as Karen's roommate. This was initially very weird, and then his voice started to crack. All of a sudden, I knew something was wrong. He struggled to get the words out. Karen was in a car accident last night, and she died. My life instantly came crashing down around me. I was in shock, and I didn't know what to say or do. I became very depressed for months and struggled to fulfill even the most basic life functions. If it wasn't for my friends, I'm not sure how I would have made it through the darkness. It was devastating to everyone that knew her. I went back to her home in a small town in Nova Scotia for the funeral, which was held in a large town nearby. The funeral home was packed. In fact, they had to set up overflow seating in the foyer. I ended up living with her family for two years while I went to school out there and became very close with her parents, her sister, and brother. They adopted me as their own. But getting to the podcast time machine, I would go back in time and never let her leave. Mm. Not for me. I'm married and I love my wife dearly, but I wish Karen was still alive for her family and friends who had her taken away at such a young age. It puts a new perspective on life. I can only try to appreciate the people I have around me now. Sorry for the downer, but that's my podcast time machine request. Max Headlong. Oof. Oh. Okay, um, all you people that wanted to go back and ask some girl to the junior high dance, I bet you feel really silly right now, don't yeah. you? Because you don't get to go in the podcast time machine. Yeah. Max, you got a seat. The oh. very first one. Dude. When we get these letters, you know, I sometimes think I know which way they're going. And uh, I remember reading this the first time, and I thought... Oh, they're going to have some epic breakup scene and, yeah, you know. That's what I was expecting too. <laughs> and, you know, or the the fraternity brother ends up, you know, doing something he shouldn't have done or something like that. And then and then when he delivers the the hammer, I, I just, I mean, I just, I remember Brad and us both writing back to Max and saying just no words. Just, we, we didn't even know what to say to him. Yeah. So. We love your letters. Send Please. us a happy one sometime. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how like that the, plays. It seems like the last few have been sad, but uh, so give it a shot. Uh, the email address is podcast at sid80s.com. Hey, it's time for our new Seggy, Stuck in the Arcade. We, uh, we rolled this out about a month ago, and then we promptly went on a podcast hiatus. Seggy-free existence. Yeah, Brad, Brad was, had a lot of work trips. Traveling during the pandemic is even less fun than you thought it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh. So the nature of the Segi is we'll play a, a snippet of a arcade game from the 80s, 
And if you get it right, you're into the drawing for this. It's the same swag we always give. It's the postal. F- oh my god, I can't say it anymore. <gasps> po- you lost that love and feeling. Po- it's I blame Max Headlong. Uh, so I'm still kind of choked up a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, postal friendly bottle opener. Mm. God, that's just no. I'm serious. I, that too hanky. That was a too hanky letter. Um. <laughs> So anyway, pay attention. So hey, let's all celebrate by playing arcade <laughs> games. Got a quarter? What was your favorite game, Gail, when you when you played the arcades? Oh, it's like such a cliche. Pac-Man? Frogger. Frogger, really? I don't think yeah. that's a cliche. Funny. That's so one of Katie's like favorites. A, that's kind of like a, a girl game. Well, now is you it? think about it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, it I was, was thought, Katie's favorite too. That and Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, the future wife likes Miss Pac-Man. I gave her a miniature version of it. I liked Zaxxon, which nobody name checks. But, I don't know that one. No, you flew. Oh, it was uh, isometric. isometric. Yes, yeah. it was one of the first ones of those. So, what was yours, Brad? Oh, you liked uh, um, you liked uh, Joust. Um, I'm not that good at Joust. I played a lot of Galaga. Yeah, everybody did. And Galaga Three, which was gapless in some places. We played a lot of that. Big fan of the Tron game too. Yeah, that's still my secret wish to get a Tron game yeah. uh, you know all you need is a secret wish and several thousand dollars yeah, and one can be delivered 3, to your home yeah three thousand yeah. about um, anyway pay attention here's the clip from the last time we did this seggy yes that's donkey kong we gave you one of the easiest ones first why is that steve because it's on like donkey kong <laughs> I, I was always shitty at donkey kong i, yeah. I just never could the ladders. I, I the get only, killed on the, the ladders. Only Mario-involved game that I ever played. I played a lot of the original Mario Brothers. Do you remember yeah. that one? Sure, yeah. Where you're like the, the crabs and the turtles. and the, Yeah. Yeah. I was okay at that, but not Donkey Kong. That was a good co-op game. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as you might imagine, we had we had a few winners. A couple people <laughs> we, recognized it. Yeah, one or two. So, Brad, Gail and I are going to go uh, make a sandwich and watch <laughs> the movie again while you read the list. <laughs> Okay, here we go, kids. You ready? Winners this week include Jeremy in St. Pete, Florida, Crispy Critter, Commodore 64 Will, Michelle, Colin Hall from Little Rock, Arkansas, Cliff from somewhere north of Detroit, Tracy Zuziak, Kevin Serving Wench, Alejandro Sticks Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, who apparently knows everything, Jeff and Charity in Richlands, Virginia, Apology accepted, Captain Nita. Tom Korn in Austria. Bart Kopp from West Des Moines, Iowa. Peter Ryan. John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina. East Coast Alex. Dan in Omaha. Alan Titus. John Clexton. Brock in North Dakota. Dougie E. Fresh from the frozen tundra of Frisco. Shan Nichols. Rick Parker. Cincinnati Joe. Scott in Boston. Formerly Scott in New Hampshire. Mailman Jeff in Jacksonville. Chuck Coverly. Mike from the Slotes. Jim Hawk. Todd in Minnesota, Scott S., Derek Rutten, Rutten, Rutan, pick one. Phil from Adelaide, Kelly Enriquez, Debbie H. from the MV, Richie Casto, Dallas in St. Joseph, Missouri, Carlos M. Hernandez in St. Louis, Missouri, Buck from Wally World, Christine in Philly, Dave Augie, August, Dan in McDonough, and Joe from Athens. Dang. Now, we also had some listeners, Steve, who thought that was a sound from the Atari 2600 game Pitfall. Huh. It's similar, but it ain't the same. That's one of those close but no cigar moments, I think. Sorry, second place, no bottle opener. 
Uh, Gail, why don't you spin the wheel? Let's find out who's going to take home the postal friendly bottle opener. <laughs> Uh, looks like it's going to be Jim Hawk. You were this week's winner, so send us your postal-friendly address. That just doesn't sound right. Postal-friendly address? Is that what I'm supposed to say? No. Anyone? Send us a mailing address. Mailing Don't address. Don't make it any harder than it is. God. I know. Words are tricky, especially when you're a writer. Uh, well, we did a... I'll talk about it in a few minutes when we talk about this virtual sail away party. But boy, I had a I had a bad night on the microphone the other night, and uh, I'm not afraid to talk about it. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery arcade sound. If you know it, email us at podcast at sat80s.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this very familiar commercial break. You know, you can be all the things you always wanted to be. Beautiful, sexy, easiest one, two, three. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine through. Just let your We have just a few minutes left. I want to mention that um, the 80s cruise was supposed to sail away today as we record. Or maybe it was yesterday. <laughs> the 2021 voyage, which of course was postponed because of uh, the pandemic. So it's going in 2022. But on March 13th, the 80s cruise is hosting a virtual sail away party on Zoom. And it'll have the MTV VJs. It'll have some other entertainment. I think some special guest appearances. And... It's anchored <laughs> because you've been bad. <laughs> it's anchored by Brad and me doing a uh, online version of Big Eighties Trivia, which we did a rehearsal for the other night, and I couldn't have sounded worse or acted more goofily on microphone I, than I did that I night. I think you were okay. I don't know. It was. It's gonna be. It's interesting because you know, believe it or not, even though Steve and I do hate people, um, you do pick up some energy from the room when you're doing. You know, trivia in a room full of people—the the anger and the happiness—and on Zoom, it's going to be interesting. We're just going to have to let it fly and hope that the jokes land. Yeah, because we're not going to get any feedback. Well, I remember the the night after that, I I kept waking up and sending myself email emails throughout the night with changes to the trivia that I thought, oh, that that question's too hard. We can't ask a question about the TV sitcom Flow. So I, I changed it to uh, a Punky Brewster one and stuff like that. And there's a couple other changes. Like I kept emailing myself. And then in, in, in between the emails, there's also these abusive emails that I sent myself saying, you're an idiot. Next time, warm up and be more prepared. You know, like, come with your homework already done. I kind of like the email you sent me. What did I send you? Uh, it that was happens the, a lot, the, the, subject, the subject of the email was criticism of Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that just had the edits that we wanted to make. <laughs> but it made me laugh when I got it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fair. I mean, it's just, it's a different vibe. So yeah. I'm glad we did the rehearsal. I'm like, you know, do we really uh, need a rehearsal? We're, we're pros. We've done this five times, but it is a little different doing it on Zoom. And yeah. it was good to get the technology stuff lined up. And, and even if you're not thinking about coming on the cruise, you can still come to the 
virtual sailaway party. There's no RSVP. <laughs> well, look on our Facebook page and, and, and stuff, and we'll have links to it all over the place. And if you don't, just e- email us, and I'll email you the information as soon as I have it. But it's Saturday night, March 13th. I think it starts around 7 or so Eastern time. And, and Brad and I, like I said, I, th- I think we take the stage at 9.15. We're going to bring it in. So Bringing uh, that ship into the shore, and we're going to throw away our oars forever. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid effing oar song. <laughs> I love that song. Why do you have to be so abusive to Ario Speedwagon? I love, I love the Speedwagon. That song is just dumb. It's lyrically ridiculous. <laughs> It's that, oh, that's the name that, of my. That will be the name of my autobiography. Lyrically ridiculous. Yeah, the Brad so Williams that's, story. That's fair enough. In the meantime, we also have to thank some patrons. We got uh, some new patrons since we last talked. Brad, you want to read their names? These people are not lyrically ridiculous. In fact, they are some of our favorites. We would very much like to thank our new patrons: Polly Cornelier, Mike R, and Andy Cloutier. Yep, I think I know Andy. I think that I think I used to play volleyball with Andy. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Thanks, all of you. I have a friend uh, we call Bad Andy, but I don't think he's a patron. So if you go to patreon.com slash podcast, there's tiers. Different donation levels get you different uh, swag options, including the option to come on the show and record the seggies with us, which, as you can tell from us just doing, has got to be one of the highlights of the last 30 minutes of today. Oh, my gosh. Uh, In the meantime... uh, Gail, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us about coming to America. I'm just sorry you had to watch the movie to do so. <laughs> I'm glad I saw it. By all means, if you disagree with us or if you have some new perspective, after you watch the movie, send us your review and we'll talk about it on a future show. But until then, Gail, Brad, and myself will remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. in the 80s is now on patreon if you'd like to support the show go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast special thanks to check battery daily for our theme music and thanks for listening hopelessly stuck in zamunda